I am so excited about today. I know. If you don't know what's happening, you have to stick around after the service. We are meeting at 11 o'clock out there. Did you? Did everybody notice the little roped off area or taped off or staked out? Staked. Oh, now I'm hungry. <laughs> staked out area. We are breaking ground tomorrow morning. So today at 11 o'clock, we're going to go out there and all together. Um, I'll say a couple words and Pastor Neil will pray um, and then we'll stick a shovel in the ground. And I am so excited. So 10 minutes, maybe 15. It looks like it's going to be nice outside, um, but I'm just excited. So what we did is we pushed back the series that I was going to kick off today. And so today and then next week, I'm giving you a two part message that's called fulfilling the dream. We've over the last few years have talked and talked and talked about the dream that God has for this place. But today, <laughs> we get to put the shovel in the ground. So it's exciting. So turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 15. We're just going to look at a couple verses. But today is such a special day. This church has been believing, planning, and giving into the dream of a cornerstone campus for years before I even came. The three prophecies are carved out and hang here on the altar as a reminder of God's vision, of God's dream for this church. But what, is, what good is a dream that's never fulfilled? Again, like I told you, the title of today's message is Fulfilling the Dream. Fulfilled dreams gives us uh, strength in our faith. It secures our faith. It helps us trust God for the impossible, which brings this exuberant joy that's a contagious hope, right? John 16, 24 says, until now you've asked me nothing in my name, ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy will be full. Come on. So let's look at this together. So how do we get to that place that we can ask anything of God? That our joy will be full, that we'll have that contagious hope that just cannot be quenched. He shares it with us in, in chapter 15. He talks about, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and then the part that you don't like hearing, and God, our Heavenly Father, is the gardener. He's got them big scissors. Oh, you don't need this, snip. Oh! Oh, God, but no, you don't need that, snip. Oh! Right? But how do we get to that place where we can ask anything? Right here. It's in that remaining in me. So in chapter 15, he talks about the vine, him, the branches, us, God the Father. You see how it's a, a three-part here. We have to stay together. We have to be one in him. We have to continue to stay in his presence. We have to go up on his lap. Put our head on his chest. Then we can hear his heartbeat. Then we can turn to him face to face and ask anything. 
that abiding in me, he talks about, and I just want to read a couple verses, 7 and 8. Remember, I've been teaching you over and over again. With every promise is an if. Oh, but today we don't want to, oh, I don't want to hear the ifs. I want to hear the promise. I want to stand on the promise. God says, you can't stand on that promise if you don't do the if. Well, now you're all, you're talking about works. It's not about works. No, it's not about works at all. Works means that you're expecting a paycheck, right? God's not giving you a paycheck. He's giving you an inheritance. But you can't claim an inheritance to a father or a family you don't want to be any part of. So he says, if, right here, verse 8, if, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Now here it is. Ask whatever you want. What? No. Wish. I like that word. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. There you that's it. We just been to heaven. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can throw roses up here. Wish. Oh, we can't wish things. They gave me permission right here. Why? When I'm sitting on his lap, when my head's against his chest, when I'm listening to his heartbeat, when I stay in him and his words stay in me, Ask whatever you wish. I mean, I, I use it a lot just because it's such the relationship of our family, of, of fathers and, and mothers and children and, and grandmas and grandpas and grandchildren. It's such a beautiful model for how God wants to be a father to us that we have to grasp this. When my granddaughter or grandson climbs up on my lap and wants to cuddle. Oh, grandma's heart melts. And I look right at them and they're not old enough to understand. But it's like, ask whatever you want. I'll give it to you. Right? Come on. And moms and dads are like, oh, I can never. Uh, how do you even understand about loving grand? Because I tell them all the time. Mama, Daddy, you have no idea that the love for your children cannot compare to a grandma or grandpa's love for a grandchild. And they're like, uh-uh. Yes! When that child crawls up in your lap, a grandchild crawls up in your lap and, put, and cuddles up and <sighs> ask whatever you wish. Are you getting it now? And it will be given to you. And listen to this. Here it is. Here's the Father's heart. This is to my Father's glory. I'm a gift giver. I love giving gifts. I like getting gifts. And by the way, I say thank you. I don't know what conspiracy has been going on here and plotting and planning, but when some I hear somebody pull up in my driveway, I'm like, I know I shouldn't think this, but I wonder if they have a gift for me. <laughs> what do you see out there? Look, who is it? 
they just keep coming. I'm like, you know, what did I say? Was it not? I didn't preach last week. It was two weeks ago. The whole Christmas story, the big fat guy that throws open the door. Come in and know me better, man. I'm like, come in and bring me them gifts. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Okay, side. This is to my father's glory. What? Here we are again, the picture of us up on daddy's lap, head against his chest, listening to his heartbeat. He says, baby, ask whatever you wish. Because his heart is full of love. Love can't help but give. It can't help but give. And it just brings more joy, not to just the receiver, but to the giver. It's to his glory. That we bear, let's go on, that you bear much fruit. What's he saying there? If I can have you understand this relationship of, of staying close to me, abiding in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. I can't help but want to give it to you that your joy will be full. Why? So that you can go and do the same. So you bear much fruit. So then you love people enough to let them get close to you because you're close to God. And then they, you see that there's something you can do for them and you want to give to them because love can't help but give. And then all of a sudden God's getting more glory. I mean, isn't it? Come on. It's one thing for you on Christmas to give. And I know Christmas, Christmas. It's snowing. Why not? I can talk Christmas. It's one thing for you to give a gift to your children, right? But how much more when you teach them that love of giving, that love of giving, to see them create something or go buy something and the joy on their face when they turn to a brother or sister and give them something. And now your, your mother heart or your father's heart is just thumping. Look at that. That love they have, that you bear much fruit for God, your heavenly fathers. It's for his glory that we go and bear much fruit. But how do we do that? We have to abide in him, remain in him. We're the branches. Stay close to him. Stay knitted to him. Actually, it goes on to call us grafted, grafted, tied to, bound to, grafted. I mean, I don't know much about gardening, but I, I remember somebody teaching me about that, about cutting into a branch and cutting into another branch, and you can actually put them together and tape them up and graft them together, and it will merge as one. But we have to stay bound to. Oh, that's an illustration in itself. Tied to him, bound to him. Ask anything. This bearing much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Does that sound anything like just skimming by through the week and fending for yourself? No. This is an open book quiz. It's, no. Okay. All right. We're good. So in order to see this dream fulfilled, there's three things always. It's three points in a prayer. That's the, you know, assemblies of God way. We, we need to put that in there, okay? You guys all need to wake up. There's free coffee out there. You guys did get some, right? Okay. And that unleaded stuff? Nah, just stay away from that. Anyway, three points to fulfilling this dream. We must be a people of vision. 
We must be a people of giving and we must be a people of believing. Pastor Cho, pastor of the largest megachurch in the world, used to preach with his eyes closed. When asked, why do you do that? He replied, so that I can see the audience of a thousand and not the 13 sitting here in front of me. Vision. You first have to believe. You first have to see what you're believing for. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Come on. Now faith is the substance. The substance means it's something to hold on to. Faith is the substance, the realization of things hoped for. The evidence, here it is, of things not seen. It's like if I walked up to you today, oh, I was going to have my keys there. Sorry. Somebody was going to get a new vehicle today. I just forgot to put it there. Sorry. Um, maybe second service. <laughs> no, my keys aren't in my purse. Somebody hands you keys to a new car. I felt God told me to give you this. Now, did they hand you a car? What does the keys represent? The car. The keys are the evidence, the realization, you're holding it in your hand of what you've hoped for. That vehicle that's sitting right out there. Faith is the substance of, which means you can hold it in your hand. It's yours of things hoped for. You can't see it yet. Actually, Hebrews 11.3 explains that the things you see are created from the things you can't see. So how do I know there's a vehicle attached to the keys they gave you? Faith. We complicate faith. And it's not. It's the substance. Your faith to move a mountain, to believe for the impossible, is the same amount of faith it took for you to receive salvation. And do you ever see anybody up here struggling to receive salvation? What's the difference? There's not, well, that's faith for salvation. Well, that's faith for financial. Well, that's faith. It's faith. Period. It's one key that unlocks everything. It's the substance. You're holding the key. The minute you gave your life to the Lord, you received a key. Our part is the vision. See, you have to see it. Jesus gives us permission to ask so that our joy will be full. And here's where a lot of people stumble and trip over and 
Let's have philosophy after philosophy after discussion. And what can we ask for? What can't we ask for? What if we ask and miss? And, you know, what if we're being selfish and we shouldn't ask for this and we shouldn't ask? You know what? Come back next week. We're going to actually discuss that in more detail. What's okay to ask for and what's not okay to ask for. All right? It'll be cleared up. I never want to hear it again. We'll go on from there. Let me just give you a glimpse. He said anything. Not my words. His. So the question isn't in what. It's in who. Remember, where you abide gives you the permission to ask for anything. But you got to think about this. You, you can't allow your mouth or your thinking, and again, we'll talk about this next week, sabotage the blessing that God's bringing you. And usually it's because we, it sat, we sabotage it because we, we won't even ask for it. Well, it's, it's hopeless. I mean, I've just always been, my parents have always been like this. My family's always been like this. This is how I've always been. So this is how I'll always be. So you won't even ask for anything else? Well, I don't really deserve that. You know, Brian and I have learned some very elemental truths these last few weeks. And one of them, and it's like, duh. You know, I, again, I think the enemy loves trying to overcomplicate the simplicity of God's truth. And so that we're always staying in this cloud. And I like it when he just speaks one word and it's like, poof, blows away all this cloud of confusion. We're like, Duh. <laughs> what was we thinking? Your words are either speaking what God's speaking or they're speaking what the enemy is speaking. There's no in between. It's are you speaking what God, even Jesus said, I only speak the words that I hear my father speak. Because anything else is in alignment with the enemy. It's one or the other. So our words are either speaking what God's speaking about us, for us, to us, through us, or it's speaking in alignment with what the enemy's saying. So when you say things like, well, that's just how I am, that's how we are, and that's what we deserve, whose alignment are you coming in with? God's or the enemy's? The enemy's. Come on. Duh. Right? Duh. I love those duh moments. We sabotage what God wants to give us, through us, to us, for us, because of our mouth, which aligns us with either heaven or hell. So our vision, see what's coming, listen to this, see what's coming and live it now. Vision means see what's coming and live it now. If your whole Christian walk so that you could make it to heaven and rule and reign in heaven and that's it, you might as well die now because you're no earthly good. As an apostle, we have a commission, a command, a job description to make heaven's reality, kingdom, the dominion of the king, a reality on earth now. We have to see that and start living that now. 
Because if we just wait and hold on till Jesus comes, it's not needed there. That is the kingdom. <laughs> we don't need to go recreate the kingdom on earth because the kingdom is coming to earth later on when Jesus comes back, when all things are made new. He, he doesn't need your partnership then. He needs your partnership now. Well, why? Because his will is that none would perish. Think about it. Your household of children, of which I have six, two of which are, uh, well, they're sneaking heathens. I'll just put it that way. There's no powdering or making that pretty. They are. Love them. Love them. Really do. But they're, they're just stinking it up. Tears me up. Now, do I want Jesus to come back right now? Yes, but my mother's heart says not yet. Lord, please bring them back. Not yet. That's the patient heart of God. He want, wishes that none of his children perish. So he's holding back. Come on, hurry up, do your job. Go tell them, go tell them, go tell them. Bear much fruit for the Father's glory so that you can be seen as his disciple shining into a dark world so that they can find their way back home before he returns. He needs your partnership now. He needs you to see this happen. His kingdom come now. Set your focus on the kingdom first. The purpose of building a bigger sanctuary is not just so we can go to one service and all be together and have a wonderful and have room for more people to come in. It's about laying another block in this big vision, the big dream. I mean, if you haven't read that, you need to read that. You need to get it in your mind. You need to see it. I wish I could put somebody in my head that could draw this out because I see it all the time. Every time I pull in, I see it. I see the big campus. I see the multiple buildings. I see the humongous outreach. I see the big pole barn full of resources to help Benzie. You know, I just see it all. You need to get to where you can see it. You can see it realized now. And the only way you can do that is when you can see the kingdom first to see the kingdom duplicated on earth as it is in heaven. You have to see God's kingdom come now before his will can be done now. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray. Kingdom come now. Your will be done, God, now on earth as it is in heaven. You first have to see the kingdom come before his will can be done. His will can't be done apart from or before his kingdom comes. His kingdom come, then his will can be done. We have to see his kingdom come first. The second is giving. We must be a people of giving. Oh gosh, here she goes. It's all about money. It's always about money. No, it's about the heart. Remember my little treasure box? <laughs> I pull that out all the time. It sits on my shelf in my office. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. 
And to get to your heart, you've buried your heart in your treasure box. And he knocks on that treasure box. Uh, if you would open that up, I could get to your heart. I mean, how many of us have had one of our children slam their, their bedroom door in our face and act like we can't come in? And we'll be nice and generous at first and we'll knock on the door. Honey, honey, open the door. Open the door. Why? Because you want what's in their room? No, because you want them. Right? But the door where they barricaded themselves, you have to get through. With our heart, with our heart is we've hidden our heart in our money, in our treasure, in the things we have, and in, in all of mine, 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 mine. And God stands at the door and says, um, Kirk, it's time you open this door. I know I own the door. I know I own everything inside that room where you're hiding yourself. But I need to get to you. I mean, that was only my daughter, which she's my oldest one, that I ever stood on the outside and knocked on. The other ones, I'm like, bring me the hammer and the crowbar. Door's coming off the hinges now. I own this house. I own that door. You're never going to shut that in my face. But luckily, God's heart's a little bit more, you know, compassionate than that. And he stands there and knocks. I know you're all thankful right now that I'm not your mother. Yeah, that's good. But it's not about money until it's about money. <laughs> well, it's not about money. It's all about, well, yeah, until it's all about money. You know? People are like, well, I can give to the Lord my um, time. Oh, that's nice, but your time's not going to keep the electricity on. Your, your time isn't going to keep the heat on. You know, come on. It's yeah. God knows my heart. Yeah. And he's saying, hello. <laughs> yeah. Let me in. Let me in. I mean, maybe we should pray that he goes and gets a crowbar and a hammer now and then. But the giving here it is in, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul lays out this model for the church through individual giving. And he uses this about equality, equality, equality. I like that. Because even in, and I know I told you I'd never say the word, but even in the word tithe, when God set the principle, which was way before the law, and I don't want to set this as an argument today, but the tithe that was established even way before the law was, was equality. Because imagine if God way back then would have said, now I command that every one of you honor me with your first fruits by bringing me a hundred dollars every week. And now all of us, some of us having, let's just bring in the talents here. Some of us having five talents, some of us having two talents, some of us having one talent, money. Measures of money. Okay. Some of us making 50000 a year. Some of us making 20000 a year. And some of us making $100. You know? Yet he's just commanded that we everybody brings in $100 a week. If that would have been the case, what would our complaint be today? How can he demand such a thing? 
How could he demand such a thing? Doesn't he know I only make, you know, $100 a month? How can he demand $100 a week? So in equality, in order that everybody be able to give the same, he put it as a percentage, a tithe, a 10%. That's how. So instead of getting all bent up over the 10%, I don't how about we thank God that he set up a percentage? And if you're bent on the tithe, the word tithe on the 10%, that's fine. Please, I mean, if I could find the word for 30% or 40%, I'm in. You know? I would love to be able to pay our, our electric in advance. And then call Cherryland and say, hey, if we can pay a year in advance, how about you give us a discount? Now we're really being good stewards of God's money, right? And the resources. Come on. So it's not about it, everybody doing the same. It's about this equality that Paul talks about. How do we make it equal? And he talks about it in verse 13. He says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. That See, that's it. You know, that, oh, well, they of course they can afford to give that much, but I can't afford to give that much. But that there might be equality. And then he, he explains that this equality is that we're giving according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Equal gifts. No, it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. Because for somebody making $50,000 a week, a faith promise or an, a weekly giving of $200 a week is, hmm, that's good. Hurts a little, feels good, right? Somebody that's only making $10,000 a year to give $50 a week, Hurts a little. It's a sacrifice. Does that mean that the one that can give $200 a week is somehow more godly than the one that can only get $50 a week? No, because it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. Remember, where did Jesus set in the court of women where the offering was the big offering buckets, let's call them. Where people would walk into the temple and give their offering. And boy, that's a whole message in itself. The way that the money, when you drop it in there, makes a sound. So the more you drop in, the louder the sound is. Just like the religious people. Doo, 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 doo. Look at that. So then when the widow came in and dropped in the two coins, probably didn't even make a sound. But Jesus was sitting there like this. Now, if it's not all about money, why was he sitting there? Hmm? If Jesus don't care about money, why was he sitting there watching people give? You don't think he sits in heaven on the edge of his throne watching everybody give now? It's not about giving. It's not about... Unless it is. Sure seems to me like it is. For him to pay attention to that widow. Because he was hearing... And seeing the big offerings coming in didn't phase him a bit. He's like, because mm, mm. they're giving out of their abundance. It wasn't a sacrifice. They could. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I can give that. You know, it was like this great big, you know, trumpet being blown when they dropped in all that money. 
and the widow's little tink tink. He went, whoa, guys, did you see that? Did you see what she just gave? I mean, could you imagine them going, I didn't even hear anything. Did you hear something? I didn't hear nothing. What could she have given? What's about her? Look at her. She gave something bigger than what we've been hearing? Yeah, because she gave a sacrifice. It's about the heart. It's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. See, we, we leave that word out of our giving. Because we've changed it, we've changed the whole outlook of giving into, well, if I can, I will. What? That's giving? Out of sacrifice? A sacrifice means it's got to cost you something. If it didn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. You can't call it a sacrifice. If you can give it or you only give it when you can, it's not a sacrifice. We've all been given something. That's what he's talking about. You can all give something because we've all been given something. The talents. When the parable of he gave the king gave some one five, one two, and to the one he gave one talent, right? Measures of money. Some of us have five, some of us have two, some of us have one. But again, equality means it's giving out of not what you don't have, but what you have. We've all been given something. What are we going to do with it? Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And listen, the miracle will always come from what you have. Think about that. Think about the stories. The multitudes were fed by manna falling from heaven. No, by the boy giving up his lunch. Right? Out of what he had. The miracle will always come out of what you have. God put something in your hand. The fish, the bread, the staff Moses had in his hand when he was getting ready to lead the people out of Israel. And he said, who am I to do this? And how will they know that I'm there? And he's like, what do you have in your hand? God asked him. Well, it's a staff. Oh, but lay it at my feet and I'll show you what I can do with it. The mantle that fell from Elijah to Elijah. Come on. He's trying to teach us how to be good stewards with what we have, not in what we don't. Well, when I win that, what is it, at $1.5 billion mega billions, then I'll give. No, you won't. No, you won't. I've counseled people over this exact issue that they struggled with giving a percentage of what tithe. They struggled with giving their tithes every week. All of a sudden, they came into this large amount of money, and they had to set a meeting with me. Um, I, I don't know if this tithe is what I'm supposed to give. I'm like, really? I, I thought we resolved that 
a couple months ago. Well, yeah, but now the check is X amount of dollars. Oh, so now that you're blessed more and you have more so you can give more, now there's a problem. So the people that says, well, I'll do when I have, no, you won't. If you're not faithful with what you have in your hand, you're not going to be faithful with more. Think of you as a mother or a father with your child. If, they, if you give them $10 and they rip it up and eat half of it, are you going to hand them a $100 bill? Uh, no. That's what I taught my granddaughter. Her dad hates that. I think it's funny. You ask her for something and she goes, uh, no. <laughs> no, of course you wouldn't give them more. If they're not going to be faithful with the little you gave them, you're not going to give them more. And again, it's all about teaching us how to be good stewards. If God just poofed everything for us like a genie in a bottle, yeah, I have three wish I had poof, poof. We'd all be fat, spoiled little brats rolling around. It's all about me, 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 right? Come on. He's creating strong warriors that replicate his heart, lovers and givers. Come on. Extending his kingdom. Good stewards. Good stewards govern well. And the Bible tells us the government sets on his shoulders. If he's the head of the church, who's the shoulders? We are. The government shall be on his shoulders. He's given us the responsibility of governing his kingdom on earth now. And if you're not a good steward with the little he's already given you, you will not govern well the big things, his kingdom. He says, if you can't even be a good steward of the little bit of money that basically is dirt in heaven, means nothing, why would he give you true riches? Where do you think true riches are found? His kingdom. His kingdom. Why would he give you more if you're not even faithful and a good steward of the little? And the third one is believing. Again, the, the difference between vision and believing. You have to see God's kingdom come now before you can believe his will to be done now. God's a big God with a big heart who wants to be magnified on earth, not because he's an egotistic, you know, maniac and just glorify me, praise me, praise me. No, it's because he knows his glory, his goodness, and he wants it to invade earth with his glory, his majesty, his kingdom come now, right? But we have to see that to believe that his will can be done. Let me put it in simple terms. You have to see Pastor Neil healed before you can believe God's will is for Pastor Neil to be healed. You have to see him. 
But see, we flip that. And first we want to we want to believe if you pray the right prayer, you say the right things, and, and, and if it's God's timing, I'm going to lay hands on you and you're going to be healed. See the error in that? But when I see God's kingdom here on earth as no sickness can reside in your body. Sickness is not part of his kingdom. Sickness is not in God's kingdom. My assignment is to bring heaven, God's kingdom, here. I have to see that first. You are in God's kingdom. Sickness cannot have any part of your body. Now I can believe his will is he is not to be sick. And no sickness can have its part. See how we've twisted that? And I'll believe, I'll see, once I can see. There's no faith in that. That's not faith. When you wait around to see and then you'll believe, that's not faith. You have to see it before you can believe it. You all are so quiet, you're okay, aren't you? No. Maybe, Brian, maybe we should back down my coffee intake on Sundays so I can stay at their level. Because I'm like raring, you know... 150 miles an hour, you know, I feel the Jesus on my face, you know, and you guys are like, that's so nice. <sighs> they still my heart. Believing for the impossible. I think right now um, that we don't even believe anymore for the impossible because we've allowed the evil that we see, the outrage that we see, the the prevalent sin, the you know, the world going to hell in a handbasket. We see all that, and we have, whether we want to admit it or not have had our hope snuffed out. Well, well, we'll be okay in here or in my home. We'll just, you know, we'll all just gather around and, you know, we'll just hold on until Jesus comes and, you know, look at the world and it's, you know, it's evil. It's evil and this happens because of that happens. And if you are a people of impossibility, which means a believing for or a hoping for, right? Then you're allowing Satan to set your agenda. You're allowing him to set the course for your life. Because if you're a victim of your circumstances of the sin that's rising in the world, the evil that's rising in the world today, and you have no choice, you have no control. Well, the world's out of control and look at and it's you know, President Trump, it's his fault, or it's, you know, the, you know, police, it's their fault, or it's, you know, these teenagers, it's their fault, you know, and it's, you know, the LGDP, you know, it's the ABCDEFG, you know, group that's, you know, it's their fault, and if it's everybody else's fault, then you're not responsible anymore. And if you're not responsible anymore 
What's there to hope for? What's there to believe for? And so if he can snuff that out, well, look, what can you do? What can you do? You're only one person. What can you do? Cherie, you know, what can you do? Oh, Lord, come back quickly. No, if the evil is so prevalent in the world, that's on us. Because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. He did what he was supposed to do. Now it's on us. So if the world's getting out of control and, and sin's rampage, and what can we do exactly? What can you do? It's back on you. Believing for the impossible. Listen, you need to start regaining that hope again, that sense. Of, and we did that in a few messages ago when I talked about that big um, purpose portrait that God has for your life. It's one of hope, right? Over and over again, his word says, stop fearing, don't worry. His whole Jesus' birth was what? A jubilant, you know, be joyful, goodwill to all, right? It's hope. It's one of hope. Our salvation is based on the deposit of heaven, right? Hope. So you have to get back that hope. And if you feel like, you know, I just don't have it anymore, then get in his presence. Get on his chest. Start hearing his heartbeat. There's hope there. Jesus didn't come for judgment. You're all done, dead. No. Give us hope. Believing for the impossible. Matthew 19, 26. And I'm going to throw this out here and... It's going to feel like a can of worms get, getting opened up, but then we're going to pick this up again next week, and I'll give you the content that surrounds this verse. But I want to throw it in right here. It says in Matthew 19, 26, But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I'll tie it back into what I said a few weeks ago. I mean, again, that just wrecks me where Jesus was at the end of his, you know, he knew his time was coming and he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, oh, I have so much more to tell you. What was he doing? He was showing them the reality of the kingdom come now. So you, can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see it? And he was using all these earthly symbols and relationships to try to model. Can you see it? Can you see it? Just like this. Just like that. You see that? Just like that. See these things? And they're like, huh? Huh? He's like, oh, I've got so much more to tell you, but the things, the much more I have to tell you have no earthly relationship. How can Jesus resurrected Jesus that has flesh that can be touched, eating, walk through a wall. There's no earthly parallel to that. Have you walked through the wall lately? No. 
our mind can't grasp that. And that's the much more that Jesus wants to show us and tell us. But he's like, oh. You see, what we think is possible. We have to start believing bigger. Not what you can do. But what does God want to do through you? That's the impossible. And I like this word. This was illustrated to me a, a while ago. God, you know, it's like big neon letters in my mind. What we think is possible, see the word possible? With him, the great I am, first it becomes impossible, right? Him with possible is impossible. And he said, what, what did he say? Nothing is impossible to him who believes, right? With God, everything's possible. The I am before that, it's possible. If you put the I am, he told Moses, Moses is like, what should I, what's your name? What can I tell? Who sent me? He says, I am. Put that I am before what you think is possible. Well, your impossible becomes possible. I should put it that way. Your impossible becomes possible. I want Crystal to share a testimony, and we are wrapping up. Oh. Actually, share that next week. Yeah, I think we're going to share that next week. Listen, God loves doing the impossible. I don't know why we're so timid in believing for the impossible when he loves to do the impossible. Why? Because he gets glory. If we're just running around here doing what we can do, what's possible, what's possible, why is he needed? He's not needed. So when we believe for the impossible, we're saying, God, oh, you have to show up or else, right? Now he's like, that one I can partner with. Because why? He'll get all the glory. Somebody who makes $10,000 a year makes a faith promise because they believe God put it in their heart. And they're like, oh, how can I do this for X amount of dollars? And they're like, God, I'm going to believe you for the impossible. He's like, I can do that. Why? Because he'll get all the glory. You can lay out your, you know, all your income and all your receipts and say, see, there is no way I could do this on my own. It's all God. He gets all the glory for it. He took the army of Gideon from 300,000 down to 300. Why? Because with 300,000, they could do it. It's like, oh, no, that's not happening. Again, it's not because he's an egotistic maniac sitting up there saying, I need all the glory. No, it's his children, and he's a father's heart. He wants you guys he wants us, he wants the world to see he's a big, loving, good God. And so he loves displaying that through us. He loves using the little to create the much. Again, the small lunch that fed the multitudes. <laughs> Think about it. You want to see the multitudes fed? Then you're going to have to sacrifice your lunch. 
What if the little boy would have been sitting there saying, I'm hungry. I can't give my lunch. I'm hungry. What will I eat if I give my lunch? Then you won't see the multitude fed. The widow's oil that continued to flow. She first had to pour it out for it to continue to flow. A shepherd boy who took down a giant had to stand up, stand up with a sling and a stone. God loves taking the little and making it much. The little teenage girl who bore the savior of the world. He loves taking the little and making it much. But you have to sacrifice your lunch. The mustard seed. I, Deborah gave this necklace to me a while ago. And I like to wear it whenever I can remember all the time. But I take all my jewelry off at night. You didn't need to know that. Anyway, why? Because in this is a real mustard seed. So every once in a while, I'll just real, reach up and feel it. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain. Do you understand? That much faith? Oh, baby, right here. I've got that much faith. It's not big faith. It's not different faith. It's not extraordinary faith that some apostles have, but I don't have. It's this size faith. The same size it took for you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're looking at completing the new sanctuary and needing $250,000. Please visit that, pray over that, anoint that, lay hands on that as many times as you can. But we're looking at needing $250,000 to complete the new sanctuary. That will give us 250 seats, about, to go, not just go back to one service, but also house, again, it's tools, these are tools, to be able to do what God's calling us to do, to be the resource to Benzie County, to train up, to equip believers. When I started breaking this down with the staff, let's see, we've got... Um, just over $68,000 right now because we just bought the trusses. That was $18,000, so $250,000. So we'll still need close to $180,000. At first, I'm like, sweet Jesus, come now. No. But then the math, I started doing the math in my head, and I'm like, wait a minute. That's 60 people given $3,000. That's $50, $60 a week. Oh, I could see that. Oh, now it's become impossible. I can see that happening. And so I encouraged the staff with that on Wednesday. And I walked around and I was telling other people, I'm like, 60 people, $3,000 each. That's $180. That's all we need. It's going to be done. We can do this. God squeezed my heart and said, oh, so you've made it a possibility for you. so this is something you can do on your own you don't need me yeah you talk about being scared no I didn't say that I did not say that Lord so to create an impossibility that only he can
can do in partnership with us because he loves to partner with his people. I hope you've heard that even though I skipped over pages of notes here. Is let's believe for the impossible. Let's believe that this $180,000 that we still need to complete this will be done so we can hold our first service in the new sanctuary on Easter, April 21st, 2019. Six months. Let's put the I am before what we think is possible and let's believe for an impossibility together. That means we do our part. Sometimes we need to sacrifice a lunch. Give him what's in our hand. Right? Have you heard it throughout the message here? Being good stewards with not what, what we don't have, but with what we do have. All of us doing our part. There's that equality. Not giving out of when we can or when we have it, but when we don't have it and when it could have been something we could have eaten ourselves, but trusting God with it so that he can multiply it and we can set back. And now we're telling testimonies. Again, I want us to be those living stones upon which this Cornerstone campus is built so that 50 years from now, will I be around? Yeah. I might still be around. I turned 50 in January. Jesus, come back now. No, I'm just kidding. It's just no more numbers after this. This is, this is it. It's always going to be 49. Okay? It's a big stutter now. In my, how old are you? Anyway. Where was I going? Anyway. Where was I going? Why did I get to, oh, 50 years from now that people that are sitting in the sanctuary in the Cornerstone campus completed are telling testimonies of our faithfulness. You know, and I'm not all about building monuments of people in the past, but telling stories, I'm all in. I want to hear that. I know now you're all distracted. It just dropped out. We'll just keep playing there. We can hear it in the spirit. Focus, people. I want them to open up a book of memories, of remembrance, and say, oh, yeah, I remember when Brian, he did this with the little lunch he had, and God made it this, and we created this whole rehabilitation center. Come on. We're the living stones upon which Cornerstone Campus is going to be built because we're going to believe for the impossible. So what we're doing is when you leave today, the ushers are in the back, except for the ones that are distracted by my sister. Um, have these that are up on the wall. I think they have them back there. Look, Tommy's always ready to do whatever, so he'll stand there at the door. And they have these cards. Realizing the vision, we're going to ask that you pray about this. Pray about this over this next week. And bring this back next Sunday. With not what you can do over these next six months, but what God wants to do through you. 
how you're going to believe for the impossible over these next six months. And we're going to, after the message, we're going to collect these. And every week on Wednesday, the prayer team that gathers here is going to lay hands on this and believe for you. For those who filled out one of these cards in there, believing for the impossible, that God produces an accelerated blessing in your life that ramps it up, not in what you can do, but what he wants to do through you. I, God talks about when we're obedient, when we're obedient, when we're faithful, when we're good stewards, that his blessings will overtake us like a tidal wave. That's what we're going to be believing for every one of you. You understand that? So don't leave without grabbing one of those on your way out. Uh, oh, Lord Jesus. I've got to wrap this up. I'll move this into next week's message. Here it is. Dream big. See the vision. Realize you have to see the vision. His kingdom. His kingdom. You have to see it. Dream big. Be a good steward. Be a good steward with what's already in your hand, not with what you don't have, but what you do have. And be a believer. Believe God for the impossible to happen through you. I don't want you to be praying, God, bring in the millionaire who's going to fund this. That's just wrong. That is so wrong. God wants to work through you. God wants to work through me. Don't pray for somebody else to do what you're supposed to do. So let's stand. On that note, we are going to open up the altars because we, as a staff, as the prayer team, can already see God's kingdom come here now. So if you have a, a situation in your life, whether it's sickness or it's a family member that's sick or, or it's a tormented, you know, cloud of confusion over your mind or somebody or whatever it is, we can already see God's kingdom has come right now. Remember when Jesus sent out the disciples, the message he told them to preach was kingdoms come. It's right here. It's at hand. Now heal the sick, cast out the demons, raise the dead. Why? Because the kingdom's already here. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is already in you, in me. So it's not about who prays for you. It's about him. The kingdom's already here. So I don't want you to rush out when you hear a word. Actually, we're told that the, the miracles that come confirm the word. So if you hear a word without getting a confirmation of miracle, it's easily picked off. It, it's bird bait. It's up for the birds to come and pick that right away from you. But when you see that miracle, when you step up and say, I, I have a situation, whatever. Or God, what do you want to do in my life? You might not even know. I like that, that God's kingdom can pull things out of you that you didn't even know was there. So you might get a, a fresh word for what you need to do tomorrow. You might get wisdom for how you're going to, God, I feel like I'm supposed to, you know, this is going to be my faith promise. Oh, my Lord, you know, what are you going to do? And you need to set in his presence and let him speak that word of wisdom.
So we're going to talk about some practical steps next week and what we need to do on our part for believing and moving in the impossible. But right now, I want you to just spend some time at the... Oh, you got the music back. See? I was hearing it already, so I didn't even hear it drop out. So I didn't even notice that it came back on again. So let's do that. Let's come on up. And let's just start. And if you have no other prayer requests, pray for this. And then be out there at 11 o'clock.